Our uh, topic for this weekend that I was asked to speak about is karma, who's to blame? So if we want to uh, examine this uh, question, then uh, we really need to uh, analyze and understand what do we mean by each of these? This is because uh, there can be a lot of misconceptions about any of these uh, three. And as we know from the general Buddhist teachings that uh, when we have misconceptions about uh, things that are very uh, relevant in our lives, that causes suffering. And what Buddhism is about is to get rid of suffering, isn't it? With uh, this specific topic, one of the big dangers is uh, guilt. If we think about you know, karma and what I've done and me, 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 and I'm to blame, I'm so bad for what I did, and I'm being punished, etc. This is guilt, and uh, that causes a great deal of unhappiness, doesn't it? So actually, I think that this is a, quite a relevant topic uh, to uh, understand. And uh, with understanding, correct understanding, that's the fourth noble truth, we will achieve a stopping third noble truth of guilt and the uh, unhappiness and suffering that, uh, and crippling effect that it has on us. Because, uh, you know, there's a very big difference between blame and being responsible for what we do and what we experience. So these are the type of things that uh, we need to investigate. And the tool that uh, we use it to investigate is analysis. You have to analyze what is karma? What is the Buddhist view of the self? What are the issues involved with blame and responsibility? This is what uh, His Holiness the Dalai Lama always emphasizes is the importance of analysis, analytical meditation. And of course, to be able to do the analysis, we need to have all the tools, so we need to uh, have uh, the teachings and uh, a uh, uh, rational type of approach. So let's, uh, this evening, as an introduction, just uh, uh, have a general overview of what are the issues that are involved that we'll be looking at over the weekend. First of the topics, the three topics, is karma. So what is karma? And I think there's quite a lot of misunderstanding about uh, karma. What uh, karma is actually talking about is the compulsion that is associated with our behavior. So we have a compulsive way of thinking, a compulsive way of speaking, a compulsive way of behaving. It's not talking about the action itself. I think this is the most important point of all, is not to just think in terms of action or behavior, but to correctly identify what is the problem with karma. The problem is our compulsive way in which we act, speak, and think under the influence of our disturbing emotions and our confusion. Out of control. How does this misunderstanding come about? 
it's because the Tibetan word for karma is the colloquial Tibetan word for action. So if uh, you ask uh, a Tibetan to translate the word for karma, they of course will translate it as action. But then you analyze. If the problem that we had to get over in order to avoid suffering is action, then all you would have to do is stop doing anything or saying anything or thinking anything and you'd be freed of all problems. Well, that's clearly absurd. Just stop doing anything and you're liberated, you're free. Does that make any sense? Obviously not. So you see, this is part of the whole process of analyzing, of questioning, especially questioning translation because so much of our misconception comes from the translation terms that are used. They have a completely different connotation from the original. So if something doesn't make sense in the teachings, then you have to delve deeper and deeper to try to understand it. Because obviously, if we have confidence in the teachings and the Buddha, then we're confident that what they talked was not nonsense. So they must be talking about something that makes sense. And it doesn't make sense that the big problem is doing things. So please take uh, a minute or two to think about that. What is the difference between an action and the compulsiveness, the compulsive aspects of your behavior? So the way that I act, is that the problem? Or is the problem much deeper than just doing things? Is the problem the compulsiveness about it? That it's out of control? It's under the influence of my ignorance, of my disturbing emotions, my anger, my greed. It's really the compulsiveness that's the problem. Is there a difference? Think about that. Is yelling at somebody the problem? Or is the compulsiveness behind always yelling the problem? Maybe sometimes yelling at somebody can be helpful. It can. But when I have no control over it, and then compulsively, anything that bothers me, I yell. Is that the problem? What's the problem? You have to identify. First noble truth, identify the problem. Because remember, when we talk about karma, we're not just talking about destructive karma. There's also constructive karma. What's the problem with that? Somebody cleans their house. Okay, cleaning your house, there's nothing wrong with that. But somebody who is a compulsive cleaner that is totally out of control, that, you know, is cleans and cleans, and then, you know, they look, oh, there's a spot over there, and then they're so worried that somebody is going to mess it up, and then they, they're out of control. It's compulsiveness that's the problem, not the action. 
So I like to be very direct. And that's the most important point. You take that home at the end of the whole weekend, that the problem is the compulsiveness about my behavior, and that's what I have to work on. That would be pretty good. Maybe that would be helpful. So think about that for a moment. So how compulsive we are. I compulsively get angry, or I compulsively, you know, am greedy, you know, and take things, or compulsively I'm a perfectionist. Can't stop myself. That's what compulsiveness is about. That's what karma is about. Out of control. And usually when we talk about uh, karma, although karma has this uh, specific meaning, most uh, of us include in the discussion the results of karma as well. So we'll look at that as well. What are the results of our compulsive behavior? You know, because of my compulsive behavior, I'm always unhappy. I uh, uh, always am getting into problems and trouble. It's part of the whole package of looking at karma. Now, in uh, the Buddhist teachings, there are basically, at least the, <laughs> the way that the Tibetans follow it, is that uh, there are uh, two explanations of uh, karma. There's a separate one. The, the Theravadins have their own explanation of karma. We're not looking at that. But within what the Tibetans study, there are two explanations of karma. So one uh, tradition um, that the Tibetans follow from the Sanskrit tradition in India is uh, from the Chittamatra, mind-only uh, school of philosophy. And that's the text by the uh, great Indian master, Asanga. Uh, it's called Abhidharma Samuchya, or an anthology of special topics of knowledge. The other explanation is the explanation that uh, is uh, um, a prasangika, madhyamika presentation, which is a modification of the vaibhashika presentation of Vasubandhu. But uh, this prasangika variant of it uh, was uh, 
formulated and explained by Tsongkhabar, the Galupa tradition. So the uh, Chittimatra explanation is much simpler, easier to understand. And that's the one that is uh, usually taught first, rather than the Prasangika one, which is uh, much more difficult to understand, much right. more complex. But there's a problem. And the problem is that uh, we want to understand the relation between karma and the self, me, as the one who does the karma, you know, is the agent of karma and the one that experiences the results of karma. So if we are going to want to analyze and understand the self in the context of the Prasangika teachings on it, you can't fit that in with the Chittimatra explanation of karma. A prasangic explanation of one thing in the formula has to fit with the prasangic explanation of the other. So if you want to analyze the self from the prasangika point of view, you have to, and its relation to karma, you have to analyze karma from the, also from the prasangika point of view. So I won't go into uh, any great detail about why the uh, two don't fit with each other the Sangig analysis of the self and the Chittimatra view of uh, karma. That gets uh, quite complex and you need to study the tenet systems. But uh, over the weekend I may mention a few points that, are, that make a problem, that make a conflict. But I think it's important to understand why this is a relevant point concerning having the understanding of the self and karma match, be from the same uh, philosophical basis. What is destructive behavior? It's behavior which is under the influence of disturbing emotion plus grasping for a truly established, truly existent me. We hurt somebody because I'm angry. So anger and me, concept of you know me, I have to have my own way. I'm right, you're wrong. But uh, when we look at what is constructive behavior, it's not under the influence of a disturbing emotion, but it is under the influence of this grasping for a truly established me. You might have non-attachment or non-anger as uh, uh, the emotion that is there. But uh, that just means that you don't exaggerate the good qualities of uh, things or the bad qualities of things. This is what attachment and anger are all about. Um, let me give uh, an example. We, you know, there are two types of constructive behavior. One is uh, we refrain from uh, acting in a destructive way because we uh, understand that if we act in a destructive way, it's going to produce suffering. So we don't want to experience the result of destructive behavior, but what is behind that is me, me, me. I don't want to experience it. The other type of uh, constructive behavior is actually helping somebody, but uh, again, there can be the very strong grasping for me. 
So I want to be the good one. I want to be the perfect one. I want to attain enlightenment from this. I want people to thank me and to appreciate me. So you're not acting under the influence of anger. There's no anger in, uh, you know, you're not exaggerating the situation or whatever. And you're not uh, uh, exaggerating the positive things, you know, with attachment or greed. But still, there is this grasping for me. I have to be the good one, the perfect one. I'm the only one who can do things right. And even if we do something unspecified, you know, that Buddha didn't specify as being constructive or destructive, it all depends on what the motivation and what the aim is behind the act. Like, for instance, going for a walk. You can go for a walk to go kill somebody, or you can go for a walk to go help somebody, or you can just go for a walk. So it's unspecified, neutral action. But even that can be compulsive. Compulsively, every day at 4 o'clock, I have to go for a walk, because you know, that's my time for exercise, something like that. But still, me, me, me. I have to go for a walk. Think about that. You know, I have to go to the store. Well, he's complaining. I have to go out you know, in the traffic. There's still the me, even in these very neutral type of uh, actions. Think of a little child. Perfect example. I don't want to go to bed. You know? I don't want to eat that. Neutral actions. But it's me, 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 me. So in all these type of uh, actions, whether it's destructive, constructive, or unspecified, underlying it all is this grasping for a truly established me. So if we want to deconstruct our misconception about me, then <laughs> It needs to be, what should we say? It's a very essential part of understanding and deconstructing being under the influence of karma. What is common to all these three types of behavior is this grasping for a truly established me. Me, I don't want, you know, I don't like the way that you're doing this. Me, I want to be perfect. Me, I don't want to go to bed. It's all revolving around our concept of me, isn't it? And that's why it's so compulsive, based on this ignorance, this unawareness of how we actually exist. So this is a very important principle when we're studying the Dharma, to always keep in mind that any teaching has to be under, about a specific topic has to be understood within the context of the system in which it appears, the whole system, the holistic view. Otherwise, we mix two things together or three things together, and they don't, they're not based on the same uh, assumptions. So it gets you know, mixed up. Now, of course, realistically, that's not so easy because it means that we have to uh, have studied and learned a lot in order to be able to know the context that uh, you know, the larger system that any particular teaching comes from. And this is why as we learn more and study more, very often we have to revise our understanding of even the most 
basic things in Dharma, like impermanence or karma, for example, what our topic is. So you have to revise it, get a deeper and deeper understanding. Don't ever be satisfied until you have become a Buddha, that you have really understood enough. It's one of the vows. Don't put a limit on your, your study and your understanding. Prematurely, don't put it prematurely. And I think the proper attitude to have is one of looking at the whole study of Dharma as an adventure. That, you know, rather than being discouraged that, you know, oh, you know, I have such a basic understanding, it's so complicated, there's so much more. But uh, just to look at it as, you know, look, there are all these fantastic things to discover. As I go deeper and deeper, you have this program called Discovering Buddhism. So, I mean, that's a good word. Because whatever you discover is like a treasure. Why? Because it, if you apply it in your life, it decreases your problems. That's the whole point of the Dharma. It makes life easier. You know, we hear all this publicity about liberation and enlightenment. It's it very good publicity. You know, oh, you know, you have to aim for liberation. You have to aim for enlightenment. All sentient beings. And then, what happens for many people is that we idealize it and our Dharma practice becomes all or nothing. You know, either I'm going to attain enlightenment or anything less than that, not satisfactory. And then we think I'm not good enough, what I'm doing is, you know, not sufficient, and we push ourselves, push ourselves because we're looking at Dharma and the attainments in Dharma as all or nothing. And I think this is a, uh, a big mistake. Because instead of Dharma helping us, it's making us more frustrated, feeling more guilty, I'm not good enough. And because we're frustrated, we push ourselves, push ourselves, you get stressed. I mean, Dharma practice shouldn't be something which is stressful. And then because we're stressed, we get aggressive. Something's wrong. Remember, any, you know, it's a path. There's a path to enlightenment. There's stages to enlightenment. And although progress is never linear, something that I always emphasize to people, the nature of samsara is it goes up and down. So of course our dharma practice is going to go up and down. Don't expect that it's going to always be perfect. It's not. But the main thing is it doesn't matter if it goes up and down. You just have perseverance. No matter what, I will continue. And over longer periods of time, be satisfied that it's getting a little bit better that's great that it's getting a little bit better. I'm not losing my temper so much. I'm a little bit more kind. I'm a little bit more patient. I get along with my parents a little bit better. That's great. Remember, one of the important things in uh, 
building up positive force, so-called merit, is rejoicing, isn't it? Rejoice in these little things that we are able to um, accomplish. Don't feel regret about it. Regret destroys the positive force. Oh, I wasn't doing enough. I wasn't good enough. Then you regret. It destroys the whole energy, doesn't it? So we want to avoid the two extremes. One extreme is being so super judgmental about ourselves, you know, that uh, I'm never good enough. Well, of course, we're never good. We can always do more. That's not the question. We can always do better. We're not a Buddha, so of course we could always do better. But don't be so hard on yourself, judging yourself. I'm not good enough. I'm, you know, that's this me, me, me coming in here again. So that's one extreme. You know, your Dharma practice shouldn't be compulsive. As I talk about compulsiveness, shouldn't be this compulsive, me, 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 I have to be perfect and I, you know, have to attain enlightenment by this evening. It's not going to happen. And it's self-defeating. So that's the blame extreme. I'm, I'm to blame. I'm lazy. I'm no good. I'm not good enough, etc. Whether we're talking about our regular behavior or our dharma practice, same thing. Same issues are involved. But that's one extreme. The other extreme is, doesn't matter. I don't care, and I can do anything. So not taking responsibility for our practice or our behavior. So of course this is not easy, you know, when you want to overcome compulsiveness, you don't want to become this stiff, uptight, you know, practitioner, you know, I always have to be the policeman with myself. Very dualistic, isn't it? Part of me, I'm the policeman, the other one is the bad boy or bad girl. This causes intense unhappiness. But of course, the other extreme that we want to avoid is being too lenient, you know, in terms of, uh, well, it doesn't matter what I do, and I'll just be natural and do whatever I feel like. Then you're completely compulsive. So that's the delicate balance here. Of course, you need to be relaxed. You know, there's a certain art to uh, practicing the Dharma. Relaxed, responsible, relaxed, not uptight, not treating yourself like a baby, not treating yourself like a criminal. That's the balance that you need to find. And don't have great expectations when you have no disappointments. Don't expect, I mean, that's the basic instruction in meditation without expectations and no disappointments. Just do it. Perseverance. So the issue of me and our understanding of me is very crucial here in uh, uh, working with karma. If we recognize that uh, the compulsiveness of our behavior is the problem, then the question is, do you feel as though well, I can't stop myself. 
You know, I can't stop myself from getting angry I can't, and yelling. I can't stop myself from, you know, trying to be perfect in everything that I do. Is that how we feel? I think that really, you know, hits the, the problem right on the head. You know, really identifies what the problem is here. It's thinking, I can't stop myself from acting like that. And try to, first of all, recognize, is that something that I often feel? And if it is, what does that say about my concept of me? There are two me's there. I can't stop myself. There's something incorrect here, isn't there? So to deal with this issue of karma, who's to blame, first thing is to identify the problem is my compulsiveness. Second level to understand is the problem is I feel I can't stop myself from acting compulsively. Now we get to closer to the root of the problem. Because when you have this thing of I can't stop myself from acting like that, then of course you have the scenario of the policeman me and the criminal, the bad me. But that doesn't work. This is why the correct understanding of how the self, how I exist, is crucial for being able to deal with karma. So take a minute to reflect on yourself. Think about how you experience the compulsiveness with which you act or speak or think in a certain way. Remember, we're not just talking about the way you, you act and speak. It's also the way you think. We can have all sorts of, you know, really horrible, <laughs> compulsive way, you know, thoughts going through our head uncontrollably. And ask yourself, can you stop yourself from acting or speaking or thinking that way? And even if you are successful in stopping yourself, when you do, do you experience that in a dualistic way? The good me and the bad me. The policeman me and the criminal me. And thinking that way, in this dualistic way of I can't stop myself, and even if I stop myself, then you know, there's this uh, dualistic thing. Does it make me happy? Or does it just make me really stressed and uptight and suffering? And remember all those times that in your head you called yourself, I'm such an idiot. Or why did I say that? Why did I do that? I'm such an idiot.
Okay, so I hope you can start to appreciate what the problem is, what the issues are that uh, we need to deal with. So when we're dealing with issues of karma, it's not just an issue of I want to be a good girl or a good boy. You need to go much, much more deep, more deeply than that. So blame is the third topic here. Karma, me, and blame. So if I can't stop myself from compulsively acting or speaking or thinking in a certain way, then am I to blame? Who's to blame? Or are other people to blame? You annoyed me, so it's your fault. I yelled at you. Or are outside factors like the economy to blame? You know, I had to steal because the economy was so bad. For this, we need to realize, we need to analyze the role of the self and the role of causes, conditions, and circumstances involved in committing any various acts and in experiencing the results. Everything arises dependently on causes and conditions. Very fundamental principle in the Dharma. You know, there are four hallmarks of the uh, teachings. First one is all conditioned phenomenon are impermanent. So everything is, you know, arising dependently on causes and conditions, and because it does, it's changing all the time because causes and conditions change all the time. But uh, things don't arise from one cause. Basic principle in, in karma, in cause and effect. So everything that happens, everything that we experience, it's not my fault. It's a combination of many, many factors. I remember one teenager that I knew that uh, had so low self-esteem that if he went to a football game and his team lost, he said, they lost because I was there. It's my fault. This uh, is clearly ridiculous, isn't it? So although, from a karmic point of view, we've built up various causes for certain things happening to us, certain things act, acting in a certain way, they arise through causes and conditions of what other people say that triggers this, economic factors, everything. Big mixture or network of dependent arising. Because when we start thinking in terms of blame, I'm to blame, you're to blame, the society is to blame, then that means guilt. I'm the guilty one, you're the guilty one, society is the guilty one, so then I'm a bad person, or you're a bad person, or the society is bad for causing me to act in that way. So if I'm to blame for you know, what I experience, then I'm the guilty one, I'm the bad one, and I'm being punished for what I did because I deserve it. Which of course is a complete misunderstanding of the Buddhist teachings on karma. Or you're to blame, you're guilty, you're bad, you need to be punished for what you did that made me do what I did. Or the society is, is to blame, so the society is guilty, the society is bad, and the social order needs to be demolished or destroyed 
for making me do what I did, like go out and steal or take drugs. You know, this is very, very important to understand that Buddhist ethics are not based on laws that are either made by God or made by a legislature. And you have to follow the laws, and if you don't follow the laws, you're bad, you're guilty, and you have to be punished. That's not Buddhism. Buddhist ethics are based on understanding that if we act under the influence of disturbing emotions, it's going to produce problems and suffering. If we act under the influence of ego, it's going to produce problems or suffering. Therefore, we want to develop not obedience to the laws. What we want to follow is discriminating awareness. Discriminate between what will bring suffering, what will not bring suffering. And if you don't want suffering, don't act that way. Simple as that. So, think for a moment about who's to blame for the way that, I, that we act. You feel guilty? Or you feel others are guilty or society is guilty? So even if we are studying Buddhism and involved in Buddhism, are we still mixing it with another system which has this whole idea of blame, guilt, you broke the laws, you're being punished. I'm bad and I want to be good so mommy and daddy will like me and my teachers will like me and I'll be a good girl or a good boy. Is that how we're approaching this whole idea of karma? Well, that's not Buddhism. We're mixing. So there's a big difference between taking responsibility for our behavior and feeling guilty and blaming ourselves. how we act. We don't want to be the guilty bad child in terms of how we deal with our behavior. We want to be a responsible adult non-judgmental. You know, there's no judge here. Simply using discriminating awareness, what's helpful, what's harmful, and going 
deeper and deeper in our understanding and our analysis. In the beginning, first, sure, you just exercise self-control. But then go deeper and deeper. And as we saw, deal with the compulsiveness of our behavior, this whole thing of I can't stop myself from acting that way, a whole concept of self. Deeper and deeper. And I think that uh, underlies, underlines this whole problem that I uh, mentioned uh, a little bit earlier about uh, just ain't, you know, having our focus just be on liberation and enlightenment and not rejoicing in the small steps that we make toward that goal. You know, avoiding this, I'm not good enough because I'm not enlightened yet. The analogy would be, well, I have to get the non-conceptual cognition of voidness, you know, with perfect concentration. And anything less than that is irrelevant, stupid, don't really need that. So we don't even exercise self-control. If we're able to exercise self-control when you feel like, say, you know, yelling at somebody or you know, saying something stupid, that we find that space between when I feel like saying it and when I actually say it. And simply stop. Self-control. If you're able to do that, although it could be very frust, you know, very, you know, I'm the policeman and all of that, still it's better than uncontrollably yelling and hurting people, saying stupid things. So step by step, we have an idea of what the, you know, what the ultimate uh, step that we need to take is. But take the gradual steps there and rejoice in each of the steps. Don't feel bad that it's not the next step yet. You know, we live in societies in the West that have so much emphasis on guilt and law, whether it's divine law or civil law, that uh, it leads to a lot of low self-esteem, of course, but uh, it really makes an obstacle to rejoicing. And I think that's one of the most difficult things for us as Westerners to be able to develop, is rejoicing in the little things that we've accomplished, rather than feeling that it's not good enough. So in conjunction with this whole topic, karma, who's to blame, we need to develop a sense of responsibility rather than blame for ourselves and rejoice in whatever we are able to accomplish. Don't feel arrogant, but don't just put yourself down. That's something that I don't know is emphasized enough in people's practice, learning to rejoice. Not so easy for many of us. If you think about it, one last thought for the evening. If we blame ourselves, thinking I'm not good enough, I haven't done enough, it really makes an obstacle to doing better. Whereas if we 
rejoice in the little things that we've been able to do. It gives us a sense of self-confidence and self-worth, which then makes a much firmer basis for going ahead and making further progress. So let that sink in for a moment, and uh, then there are a few minutes left. We can have some questions. say, would it be correct to say that uh, actually we, it's not that we really can practice better at the moment because uh, of our karma, it kind of does not allow us to practice better. And if we are capable of slowly getting rid of our karma, then with time we will be able to practice better. But it's not that already now I can do better than I can. It's very interesting what we think are our limits and how sometimes we uh, limit ourselves and think that uh, I can't do any more. I was an uh, interpreter for my teacher, Sirkun uh, Rinpoche, and uh, he always told me that no matter how tired you are, you could always do five minutes more. And uh, I think that's very true. I mean, unless we have some medical condition or something like that, that uh, you know, the brain just sort of stops functioning at uh, a certain point. I know somebody with a brain injury that uh, that's the case. But we can always do a little bit more. I uh, do a lot of uh, physical training, weightlifting, body weight, uh, this type of thing. And uh, there, the, this issue of you can always do a little bit more is very relevant because uh, you're told, you know, you have to do X number of push-ups. And you think, oh my God, I can't possibly do that many. And then, you know, you're being encouraged. Come on, you can do another one, you know. And then you think, oh, there's only two more left. And, you know, although I'm really tired, you can push yourself and you can actually do it. And I think that this demonstrates, for those of us who engage in such things, that, uh, you know, we are capable of doing a little bit more than we think that we are capable of. And that little bit more will increase over time. I see a bodybuilder here nodding, so you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> So, you know, there are realistic limits and 
you know, just self-imposed limits that uh, really are just in our conceptualization of ourselves. Differentiate. Any other question? Uh, another interesting issue here is shame, because shame is yet different from guilt. And it seems like if we feel shame about certain negative actions, actions or destructive actions of us, then it might help us uh, to progress in our practice. What do you think about that? There are two mental factors that uh, always need to be present in uh, constructive action, and their opposites are always present in a uh, destructive action. This is uh, according to Abhidharma teachings. And uh, so the one that is there in uh, destructive action is sometimes translated as no sense of shame. But I think that a little bit more accurate is no sense of self-dignity or self-worth. You know, you just don't care how your behavior reflects on yourself. You have no self of, sense of self-worth. And the other uh, mental factor is that you don't care how your behavior reflects on the larger group that you're part of. This is quite Asian, but uh, that, uh, you know, I'm a Buddhist, and if I act like this, it gives a bad reputation to all Buddhists, or it gives a bad reputation to my family, or to my country. You know, this idea of shame is, if you think about it, it's more like, you know, I'm worried about what other people think of me. But the emphasis in Buddhism is what I think of me. Uh, on the other side, constructive behavior is always accompanied with a sense of self-worth and a sense of how my behavior reflects on those I'm close to, my parents, my friends, my family, my religion, my society, you know, like that. Once I asked my uh, class in Berlin, why, uh, why don't you go out and steal? You know, steal, vandalize things. Is it because you're afraid that you're going to go to hell if you do this? And they said, no, that's not our motivation. So ask yourself, why don't I go out and vandalize and destroy other people's property? And you know, the answer that everybody came up with in my class was because it doesn't feel right. Is that what you felt? I should have asked you. No? Why don't you steal? Why don't you vandalize? Don't feel like. It doesn't feel right. That no, don't, I don't feel like. I don't feel like doing it. Mm. 
What for? What for? Uh, I think that it might be uh, painful for others. Uh huh. Okay, that's interesting. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I mean, there are obviously various reasons, but. Uh, class came up with the right answer <laughs> from a Buddhist point of view, which is that it doesn't feel right to go out and be nasty and, you know, hurt others and so on. You know, why don't I want to, why don't I want to hurt somebody else? Because it just isn't right. And that's the sense of self-dignity. You know, I wouldn't stoop so low as to do that. I think more of myself than going out and, you know, wrecking everything and, you know, acting in a, in a horrible, antisocial way. Because if you say, you know, well, I wouldn't go out and vandalize because I don't feel like doing it, well, then you have to say, well, what if you did feel like doing it? Would you do it? Because that's the implication of, uh, of that answer. Yeah, they say they will, then they will vandalize everything. <laughs> then you'll vandalize. <laughs> well, then that is a good example of the, you know, that you don't care, you don't have that sense of self-worth, which accompanies a destructive action. So anyway, this is the, uh, the issue that is uh, very central. And it ties in with what, to Buddhist ethics, and it ties in with what we were saying about rejoicing, having a, a positive feeling about oneself, respecting so, oneself. When we respect ourselves, then it's much easier to take responsibility for how we're going to behave. When we have no respect for ourselves, no feeling of self-worth, then it doesn't matter how I behave. So that brings us to the end of our evening session. And uh, over the weekend, we'll go more deeply into these uh, topics of karma, self, and blame. So we think whatever positive force has come from this, whatever positive potential and understanding may go deeper and deeper and act as a cause for everyone to attain the enlightened state of a Buddha for the benefit of us all. Thank you.